a lot of people say, well, you're the psychic. Tell me what my purpose is. No, mm-hmm. I haven't lived your life, faced your challenges, had your joys. Mm. Your sentence of passion is not who you are or what you do or even how you do it. It's your vapor trail. Mm-hmm. When you go to getting into heaven on bald tires and fumes in the tank and God hands you a beer and says, so you get to go. I did that. Isn't it cool? Midlife Ladies. This is the Dear Midlife Podcast. Unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic. So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. Shelby. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in reincarnation? You know what's coming to my mind right now is that no. song. <laughs> I don't know if you know the Indigo Girls. They're one of my favorites, and they have this song. And now you had to bring up reincarnation over a couple of beers <laughs> the other night. <laughs> I do not know the song. God, you have to listen to that song. I'll okay. send it to you. Indigo Girls. It, Indigo it's Girls. Called that song is called Galileo. Galileo. Okay. Galileo. I'll send it to you. Does it answer the question whether or not you believe <laughs> in reincarnation, though? You know, I don't know if I believe in reincarnation, but what I I believe that there is something beyond this life, whether it's a soul or a spirit. Yeah. What about you? Do you believe in reincarnation? You know, I have to say that I do because there's just so many stories I've heard, especially of like children. And one of the things that I found remarkable was this one boy who he described the 9-11, the falling of the the Twin Towers Mm. as when he was about, I don't know, I think he was about seven or eight. He was describing it to his parents as if he had been there. He's describing it as when the twin towers were coming down and how high up he was that he had to jump out of the window. And, and I even believe he referenced a name and they were able to validate the story. And so I've heard so many stories like that. And I just, you know, it's hard because it feels so infinite and it's Mm. hard for me to wrap my brain around the infinite. But what I do know that I believe is that we are not a body, Mm. but that we are a soul or a spirit. And that to me, it wouldn't make sense that we are a soul or a spirit that just lives forever. But yet you only get one pass in this vastness of forever because that one pass is a blink of an eye. And so I do think that we get to try new things and, you know, have different experiences. And I too have had weird experiences Mm -hmm. with the afterlife related to my mother and my father and other people in my life. And shout out to Aunt Sarah, who's the matriarch of the family now. And she's like, I see dead people. So, you know, wow. (laughs) So a lot to explore there. But mm-hmm. here's what I love. Today, our guest, Corby Mitleib, mm-hmm. she really brings to life, absolute pun intended there, people, <laughs> um, the idea of reincarnation as an intuitive counselor. And she's made her own path 
rather than take one that's been cut out for her by other people. And the path, truth be told, was not easy. Mm -hmm. So two marriages, which didn't last. And then this constant search for a partner who could understand this world that she was living in, which is, you know, by far outside of the norm. She had a succession of different jobs and a series of spiritual paths. And then to top all of that off out of the blue fuckery, breast cancer hits her not once, not twice, but three times. Total fuckery. Oh my God. Yeah. And so for Corby, life became a roller coaster with no freaking breaks. And she Mm. was, yeah, asked to survive divorce, abuse, poverty, and obviously life-threatening illness. But through all of this, you know, she learned the value of what she calls the examined life. And when she talks about the examined life, she's talking about simply stepping back and asking herself, what does this, whatever it is that's happening right now, what does this Mm. mean? Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, and- In our episode, Corby teaches us that there's three really important questions that we need to examine in our lives and explore more deeply so we can kind of figure out and and tap into what is our purpose here on earth? So what are we meant to do? What are we meant to learn? And how can we meet challenges by always asking the next question, by facing each of these new situations with strength, with courage, and with some humor, right? Can we laugh at ourselves? And and she sees her job as an intuitive counselor, inspirational speaker, author, breast cancer survivor. Let's not leave that out of the equation at all. Her role is to give her clients the tools, the tools that she has learned, and then the courage to deal with any situation that come their way. And she believes that everything else is free will. Mm -hmm. It is. So today Corby reminds us that, you know what? We can do what she does. And so I ask you, what will you do? We want you to join our community. We want you to follow us on Facebook and leave us a review so that we can continue to connect with like-minded women in midlife together. Because, you know, (laughs) No one should have to navigate this crazy shit show all alone, right? Amen. Amen. And we love you and we love Corby. So let's dive into this very interesting conversation with her about what does this crazy life mean? Corby, thank you so much for being here today. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking. We're excited to have you. You are an intuitive counselor. So I want to jump into that and really unpack what does an intuitive counselor mean to you? Well, it is the, if you will, drink your tea with a pinky up way of saying psychic medium that doesn't weird out other people. (laughs) There it is. There it is. is. I mean, if you look at what I do, I am a certified tarot master. I've been reading tarot since I was 18. That's 1973. That tells you how old I am. I am a past life specialist. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I do though is retrieval, not regression. And we we can go into that. That means that I can tell you why who you were matters to who you are now. Mm -hmm. Yes, I can talk to spirit guides and angels and yes, I'm a medium, but two things. Number one, no medium is dial a dead. 
if Aunt Rose is on a field trip, she won't be by the phone. <laughs> and for me, doing mediumship is so intensely private because I don't censor that I don't do galleries for that. I simply won't. Sometimes what comes out of my mouth, it does not belong on a stage. So so I'm curious, then how do you use this intuitive counselor side to help women kind of figure out who they are? I mean, it sounds like you can do a variety of different things. Tell us more about that. Well, uh, part of my uh, arsenal is that I'm also a reverend. And when you're a reverend, you know how to do spiritual counseling. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem that I find is women at midlife, most of them, when I ask them, what do you want? Yeah. They look at me blankly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. If you had to guess, honestly, I don't know. And this is why when we're two, there's this big white thing with silver things on it. And we, we reach for that. And our mother goes bad hot. Right. Okay. Well, that's makes sense. Don't burn yourself. But Mm -hmm. then what happens is we see a plate of cookies when we're four and we're smart. We know there's more cookie in the big one than the little one. So we reach for that and our mother goes, bad, and you're selfish. So you're not even going to get a cookie and we're going to give it to your little brother who eats it at you. Mm-hmm. And then she compounds it with, besides, girls who eat cookies get fat. Nobody likes fat, girl. Do you really want mm-hmm. the cookie? So that by the age of five, six, seven, we have been subliminally taught. Mm. If we want anything, we're wrong, we're bad, we'll be punished, and we have to watch somebody else get it. Right. Mm. So in that sense, wanting, knowing who we are has been subliminally beaten out of us, Mm. which is why they come to people like me. But the key is I do not predict per se. I tell people, here are your opportunities and how to grab them. Mm. Here's the tough stuff. Here's how to get through it or around it. Here's your toolbox. Go rock and roll. It's all up to your free will, not me. Well, and I think that that's refreshing and, and beautiful. And I think that's why so many people actually don't seek out um, a medium or someone that can support them with understanding the spiritual side of life because they feel like oh, it's written in stone and I don't want to know because I can't change it. And the truth is that you can change it, that we were created in God's image and he created whatever he wanted to create, guess what, honey, you can create whatever you want to create too. The way I explain that to people who say, well, you say that we did pre-birth planning. So how can we have free will? I say, let's look at college. Hmm. Okay. I went to Brown university and I decided I was going to become a theater major. Mm -hmm. That's my pre-birth plan. But I could have taken gut courses or done double major plus lab, which I chose. So that's your free will. You decide how you're going to learn the information that you set out to learn in your pre-birth plan. I love that. So tell me what a pre-birth plan is. I am a complete novice in this space. Okay. I worked with Robert Schwartz. Mm -hmm. He's written a very wonderful series on pre-birth planning and life between lives. And the idea is karma is not carrot and stick. Karma is five things. Healing, service, contrast, unbalanced energy, and healing of beliefs. Mm. So when your higher self, your soul, is planning your incarnation, it may say, I want to learn 
about abundance or I want to heal the difficulties I had with the soul of my mother last time. And everybody gets together and makes these plans. Hmm. For instance, in my life, I knew that with what I was planning, I was going to need a best friend for my Hmm. father. So who did my soul choose? But the soul that usually comes in as my best friend. And that was my dad. He and I shared the same birthday. I love it. He was the one in the family who truly understood me. And at this point, he was a brilliant cardiologist. Mm. At this point, if I do medical intuitive work, especially if it's cardiac related, dad will come in. Mm. Very interesting. This says, well, what does he bring in and what did he leave behind? What's our personality versus our soul? When he comes down, he still has a terrible ability to pun. Uh, incisive medical knowledge, clarity, compassion. What dissolved when he passed over because it was for learning down here, he didn't need it. His anxiety, his depression in his high country. So the more we get into our peaceful, literally overseeing, literally seeing the situations we're in, compassionate self, the closer we are to our soul. And the more we're going to keep that when we get out of here. That's interesting. So you have things in life that you don't choose as well, then is what you're saying. I mean, Um, your higher self may choose it, Hmm. but the personality may not. I see. So your higher self might choose to have anxiety or might choose to have depression for the reason that that will challenge you and help strengthen your spirit or soul for the or the future, the long run. Or set it up. For instance, uh, my particular soul plan was to learn that women are not just their bodies. Mm. Women are worth more than that. But I came in from the age of 11. I had a Dolly Parton figure. Yeah. <laughs> I had a very dysfunctional relationship with my alcoholic mother who mm. put in my mind the body was all I was worth. Yeah. Now, the, the point of double major plus lab or whatever if I had decided I'd prove my mother wrong, it would have been a much easier life. Mm-hmm. But I was convinced she knew my worth, which was nothing. And so for decades, I lived exactly the way she predicted. Mm. And so I got breast cancer twice. Mm. Once when I was acting in New York, lumpectomies and radiation. Once when I just moved back upstate, that was skin cancer from the radiation. But I still wasn't getting it. So 18 months after I married my wonderful husband, and we were still very married, I got a second primary, but the doctor said, okay, three strikes, you're out. We're taking the rack, we're taking the ovaries, and you're going from this Dolly Parton figure to a fat fire plug with permanent side effects, and we're going to damage you so much internally, you'll never have sex again. Wow. Now, did I go home and cry for 24 hours? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) But then because of the work I did my life and working with a place called the Option Institute, I said, I have to find three reasons to be okay with it. I didn't care how stupid they were. Number one, you don't have them. You can't get cancer there. Mm -hmm. Number two, the top half is not going to get slammed in the refrigerator door at the doctor's every year. And every woman listening knows exactly that piece (laughs) for sure. Three implants. I'll be perky till I'm 93. This is cool. So this is what 68 looks like 19 years later. Still very married, still in love with my husband, looking at myself in a totally different way. But also, when you live the examined life like I do, Mm -hmm. always ask yourself, 
What can I learn from this? How can I teach with it? And then you go on and say, next. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I love that. And, and women don't move on from their stories. And that's a problem, especially if you've done cancer. Yeah. Yeah. A woman will uh, walk up to you 15 years ago. She had stomach cancer to say, hi, my name is Sue and I'm a cancer survivor. I'll talk yeah. about that. For one yeah, thing. How, how I, do you recommend women get beyond their stories then? And become closer to self and in, in who they are and not just their story. Realize there's more to go. And the example I use is in 1973, do I actually have the piece of paper here? Somebody sent it to me recently. Um, I won the Betty Crocker State New Jersey Homemaker of Tomorrow. Oh my God. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, it was really great. We went to Washington, but it was the middle of Watergate. So we didn't get to the White House all day. <laughs> Don't talk about that now because I've moved on. You've moved on from that story for sure. Right. So who are you now? 10, 15 years later from your yeah. divorce, from the cancer, from the car accident, from the miscarriage. Yes. I'm not saying don't grieve when it happens. We're human. But who do you want to be? Part of that is finding your sentence of passion. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say, well, you're the psychic. Tell me what my purpose is. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. I haven't lived your life, faced your challenges, had your joys. Mm. Your sentence of passion is not who you are or what you do or even how you do it. It's your vapor trail. When mm -hmm. you go to getting into heaven on bald tires and fumes in the tank and God hands you a beer and says, so get to go. <laughs> I did that. Isn't it cool? Now, my sentence of passion is cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. When I can take somebody from point A to point B when they thought they couldn't make it, Whack them on their shoulders, say, here are your wings. You don't eat a flight plane. Get, I am living my bliss. But I've done it as an actress, an author, an inspirational speaker, a video producer, a legal assistant, an executive mm. writer, writer for the graphic novel series, ElfQuest, and a psychic. It is not the job. Therefore, yeah. I don't care how old you are, you can find your sentence of passion and that will give you that laser pointer the little red dot that the cats go after for the rest. Yeah. Of so here's what I'm curious about, Corby. You have women, they come to you, you know, hey, help me figure out this stage, this this moment in life. I know that there's more and mm -hmm. I'm just struggling mm -hmm. to find it. How yep. do you help them? How do you use your gift that you've used throughout all of these roles that you have played in your lovely, well-traveled life? How do you use your gift to help pull that from them or help them to realize and start to step into that space for themselves? Depending on how much time I have with them. All right. Mm -hmm. This is just. I'm like, we got, we got about 10 minutes, girl. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Frankly, one of the things that I do is I pull out one of my Oracle decks. Now, what's the difference between tarot and Oracle decks? Mm -hmm. Tarot is standard. 78 cards, 22 majors, four suits. And the artwork may be different, but it always says that. Okay. The thing about Oracle cards is they can be anything. There are no rules. So one of the things that I do is I have the Spirit of the Wheel deck, which is a gorgeous First Nations deck. And that deck, when I first purchased it, says, we want to help people figure out what their road should look like, mm. how to move forward on it. And so I pull five cards from this deck. 
what brings you here, meaning why did you incarnate? Right. What's your passion? What's your teaching? Because we all have to teach at least one person something before we get out of here. What's your legacy? And what is the hub of your wheel? The idea about the First Nations medicine wheel, the hub is where you always have to come back to with yourself. So interesting. Okay. So are you asking me to do that now for you? I would love to do that now. How do you yeah, feel about that? I'm doing it. Notice I'm not even looking at the cards because <laughs> my hand will go where they're meant to go. So yeah. first, what brings you into this incarnation? Lessons, growth, and trust. Mm. <laughs> okay. So this may not be what I call an r and life, but the more you get through the lessons and you move forward the way I did, the more you're going to start to trust your own self and trust what your abilities are. Mm. But your passions, synchronicity, balance, and certainty. You are not one of those, I don't know, people. It's like, no, tell me what it is. And then boom, right there. Let's go. What are you going to teach people? You know what? I need my glasses. I know, girl. I'm right there with you. (laughs) Thank you. What are you going to teach people? Letting go, movement forward, and reflection. Ooh, that's a, that's a a heavy hitter for me. That is a heavy hitter. You teach people, here's your story. Who are you going to be next? Exactly what we're talking about today. What is your legacy going to be? What are people going to remember about you when you're gone? I love it. New beginnings, thought processes, and inspiration. Mm -hmm. But where you need to come back to, to make sure you stay in balance, right here. Opportunity, acceptance, and gateway. There will be some weird ass things showing up in your life and going, wanna? You gotta learn to say yes and just mm. step through. Trinity, what's my word this week? Surrender. There you go. Yes, that is, I love that, Corby. Yeah. Mm. Now I want one. Now I wanna have, I wanna okay, have fine. One. But notice, so I'm not telling somebody, yes. Yeah. You're a guy, you're telling me that you need to build wells in Nairobi. I'm scared of snakes. You don't tell me to go to Africa. I mean, <laughs> you know, because that's just more should. Yeah. Yeah. And the comedian Loretta LaRoche has a great couple of lines about that. She says, women are always shooting on themselves. Mm. And when they're not shooting, they're masturbating. They eh, shouldn't do either. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. All right. So five cards for you, Miss Shelby. Hang okay. On. Now I, I shuffled hers back in. So they may come okay. up and be the same. Wouldn't that be ironic? Wouldn't that be or ironic? coincidental? What's the right word? I don't know. Weird. The word is weird. Weird. Um, thanks. Okay. What brings you into this incarnation? Different. Mm. Balanced relationships, self-expression and boundaries. Ooh. Women about boundaries. No is a fabulous idea. Okay. This is a lesson. Being passion. Interesting. Your passion is why she's here. It's probably one of the reasons that you connected lessons, growth, and trust. Mm. What do you teach? You, you're one of those teachers who teaches from experience. Mystery, void, good fortune, and grace. The great star nation is like, you can't get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And wow. That could be what you're teaching is no matter how it looks, you are not getting your life wrong. It is impossible to do. Right. What is your legacy going to be? Mental clarity, awakening, and beauty. Oh, yes. But where you need to come back to is right here. Recuperation, creativity, and dreams. I think you run yourself ragged. You are so right. Yeah. We are allowed to rest. Remember, if the cup is empty, 
we can't drink from it. So we have nothing to give anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Uh, See, I told you I would cry. But here's the thing that really was so powerful to those, you know, readings for us, for me, at least, is I find it interesting that what we're expected or brought into this world to give to others, we first have to give to ourselves. Yes. Like every one of those things that you shared with me specifically, yes, to (laughs) all of it, definitely. I, I love the idea of giving those things to others. And that's part of the reason why Trinity and I started this podcast, but for sure, I think, and I, I might even be speaking for Trinity too. And I see it in your face, Trin, but I definitely think we have to give those things to ourselves first, but that's the hard part. And that's the lesson that you're talking about is, is you have to, and what life teaches you and the, the example that you shared with your breast cancer. I think that that's really, you have to give it to yourself first before mm-hmm. you can learn to give it to others. Absolutely. Would you teach someone to cook when you didn't know how to boil? (laughs) Exactly. Right. And there's an immense amount of power that comes with the street cred, right? I've been there. I've done that. So (laughs) I, yeah, I fucking Mm -hmm. know. I know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about because I've walked the walk. And so that's really powerful. Yeah. And the important thing I think that I do is I tell people I'm not special. You can do what I do. I mean, I lost a reality show because of that. So I would really? look and say, nobody can do what she does, blah, blah, blah. No, no. My whole point is, look, eventually I'm not going to be here to do it for you. You got to learn yourself. It's so true. Yeah. And, you know, we don't trust ourselves. And what it was, one of my things was trust, right? Mm-hmm. We don't trust ourselves. And I think about my life in particular and all of the different all of the different things that I have known mm-hmm. had that knowing of this is something I want to do. I'm called to do. My life is pointing me down this road, damn near throwing me like, bitch, go down this. <laughs> and I get don't. your ass down that road, get your ass down that road, girl. And that, and it boils down to me trusting a, that voice B you know, my abilities, am I going to falter? Am I going to fail? Mm -hmm. And I've broken so many trust contracts with myself from the very smallest thing to the very largest things that I have a difficult time coming back and plugging in and trusting myself so that I can move into that space that I know is my purpose, into that space where I know that I'm called to impact lives and ways that I'm not doing so today. Let me give you three of the most important questions in the world. Okay. What am I X about? Fearful, mistrustful. Mm -hmm. Why am I X about that? And the question we never ask ourselves, what do I think would happen if I stopped being X about that? Mm -hmm. It's funny. The first two questions were basically failure, failure, and then happen if you stop and then greatness mm-hmm. oh. and this even works with kids yes I mean, you know one of the reasons parents and kids are like this is because parents immediately think they know what's going on mm-hmm. so let's use josh josh comes in slams the door this is baxter's nasty josh what happened i trouble homework tonight how do you feel about that man why are you mad about that josh this is so much homework. I don't think I'm going to get to go out and play more dinner. Mm. Okay. What do you think would happen if you stop being mad about that, Josh? I don't know. 
if you had to guess. <laughs> guess I'd do it. And then what? I guess I could go out and play for a little while. So what do you want to do, Josh? I guess I'll start. Yeah. Mother didn't say, you don't have a right to be angry. Right. Don't be stupid. Just get to work. The mother didn't negate the child's feelings. Right. She listened. She let the kid solve her own problem. That's called critical thinking. And a lot of yeah. people like that these days, but it's the way to work. Yeah. Right. But to your point earlier, you know, a lot of us, especially young girls, young women, again, we have it beat into our heads that our parents know what's right for us, what's best for us. And one thing that I find unique about your story is that you didn't follow that path. You were able to break free of that preconceived programming that probably was instilled in you as a child, mm -hmm. because I know that, for example, you came from a, a highly successful medical family and chose this very different path as a visionary. So help us yes. understand what you use to get over that mental narrative that was probably, I'm making assumptions, ingrained in who you were as a child to become and follow your own path. I knew what I wanted. I mean, you know, like I said, dad's a doctor, mom was a nurse, my brother is a world famous doctor, CF and asthma. I wanted to act. I was a writer. I could have mm. stood on the dining room table and tap danced and said Shakespeare, and they wouldn't have gotten me. Dad did later. But because I spent my life trying to figure out myself working at deconstructing the toxic lessons my mother gave me. I mean, I jumped from job to job to job to job, married twice, once less than a year. I left when he started throwing me against the wall. Mm. One less than two years when he just decided he didn't want to get married and he left me in Georgia. And trust me, I'm not a magnolia. I'm a bagel. And, you <laughs> and so some, some members of my family to this day consider me an embarrassing failure. I've read 30,000 people in my life. I'm internationally known. I've written books. I'm in books, radio, television, but I am a failure. Wow. I don't live the way they think I should. And for that, I use my two magic phrases. Thank you for sharing. You may think that if you wish. And then I yes. go, I mean, for a long time, I didn't tell my brother what I did. And when I finally did, because I wanted to do expos where he lives and he and I are cookie cutters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> him, we, you know, we're related. He looked at me and he thought for about five seconds. And then he said, well, shrimp, that was me. <laughs> I guess if it's not illegal. Wow. Well, and I, I just don't discuss what I do. But how does that make you feel? Horrible until I finally accepted, you know, that th there is a segment of my family in the South, who is amazed at what I do. They're very supportive. But my closer family, they will never love me for who I am. I will never be what they want. They will never understand what's important to me. And I have to accept it and love it anyway. Yeah. You can love someone without liking them. It's true. I do it every day. Uh, I, I'm curious, when you think about your pre-birth plan and what you know to be true, how does that all tie in? I'm made to be a teacher. I went through hell so that my compassion level would be deepened. Yeah. If I come back as a female next time, because we do, we female, you know, I'll understand it better. Mm. This was a very heavy teaching life. I mean, look, I was built like a brick shit house, honey. I was gorgeous. <laughs> and then they kicked me off the menopausal cliff at age 50. 
And my family generally doesn't look their age. This doesn't look 68 for most people. No, you. I know how I, well, and I say two magic words, no children takes 10 years off your looks. But, (laughs) you know, when I look at myself in the mirror, I have a grandmotherly figure. My arms are those, you know, cellulite lumpy arms that women have. This is no longer the chiseled jaw I used to have. Mm. You know, I have finally looked at it and said, there's nothing I can do to fix this way. I always used to work at fixing it when I was younger. Mm. Unless you want to spend six figures in plastic surgery. Right. Number one, we don't have it. Two, ow. <laughs> right. So you just embrace it and you move on. That's, that's all you can do. Certain things you will not be able to change. If you were 52 and five foot three, you were never going to be the five foot 11 supermodel you wanted to be. Yeah. That dream, find another one. It's like, how do you take what you have and use it to live your life to the fullest? Use it to find new spaces where you can plug into joy and create what you want because we can all create. We can. And And until the day we die, we should keep creating. And it's important to understand, even though, yes, we reincarnate, these recipes, they are one and done. Yes. Shelby Trinity will never be down here like this again. People don't get that. So I say, okay. Let's take the actor, Matt Smith. Okay. Matt was the 11th doctor on Dr. Who. He was my doctor. But when he hung up the bow tie and the two short pants, he put on the military uniform of Prince Philip in the first two seasons of The Crown. And when he was done playing that, he hung up the Prince suit. And now he's playing this whack job on House of the Dragon. Mm. (laughs) Matt Smith is like our higher self who knows everything about all of these. Yeah. The doctor, the prince and the whack job don't know each other don't connect with each other. These are parts we play. Now, when you do the kind of thing I do, yes, you can connect with your past lives and you can understand them and you can see what parts of that came in with you this time. But Mm -hmm. it's just because you wear the same coat doesn't mean you're the same person. Mm -hmm. When people realize it is one and done, they hold on to life. I won't say tighter, but I'll say more deeply. They stop saying, well, next time I'll come back as the, you won't remember. Yeah. I don't ever want to come back again. This is too hard. You won't remember. And it's not your choice. What do you think about some of these stories of like kids in particular that seem to remember things from their previous life before? You know, like I, I saw a show about, I think one young boy, he was in the World Trade Center and described things to the T. And in fact, they were able to find his, his name. Um, and then there was another one I can't remember, but had details, really, really specific details about family members and things like that. You just wouldn't know. I'm curious what you think about those folks. Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with it. When we, we, people say, why don't I remember all my past lives? Because if you were a janitor in Des Moines and you realized that, you know, you were Horatio Nelson, the hero of, of England, would you really want to play with a mop? <laughs> You're like, I'm destined Remember for only more. what is useful. Yeah. For instance, you're going to laugh. Uh, back in the 80s, there was a Philadelphia rock group. I won't even mention them, but I'm not a groupie. But I just fixated on the lead singer. Mm-hmm. That was when I was first starting to do um, past life stuff. And so we figured out um, who I was. This was 18th century Scotland. A couple of members in the band. We had 
piece the story together. And we had a feeling we knew who he was, but we didn't have a name. And then all of a sudden over Linguini and clam sauce on a, in a main street or mainline restaurant, I heard Marcus Barron, Gordon Huntley. What? What's with two titles? And my thing then was Tudor England. I didn't know anything about 18. You like heard it like in that right. voice in the back of your head type of deal. All of a sudden, like, boom. So wow. what do you do when you're trying to figure out things like that? You go to Debrett's Peerage, which is the <laughs> famous book of all the noble families. In. Wow. And the first vision I had gotten, I knew it was somewhere around 1783 or four. Mm. And we looked up in 1752 was born Alexander 12th Marcus of Huntley, who in 1780. Three was named Baron Gordon of Huntley. What? No Baron I'm sorry. There is no freaking way. There's no right. way. <laughs> right. That you um, just pulled that out of thin air. Right. And pu- piecing together the story, I realized that I had wanted him in 1783 or four, hmm. tried to blackmail. Never. It never worked. You know, I was the local round heels. Had we slept together? Yes. Did I get pregnant? Yes. One of his retainers tried to say, here, take money and leave. And I said, no. And I was drowned for my troubles. Wow. And as we got that story together, after that, I looked at him and felt nothing. <gasps> not anger, not, it's not good. Nothing. Yeah, it's it like broke it. So I saw him because I needed to integrate that particular past life into my understanding of what I was here to do. Remember, I had to learn in this life when women are worth more than their bodies. And back then, Mm -mm. so that was an example. And this is before I realized what my pre-birth plan was at all. Isn't Hmm. that something? So. So I'm curious to know, because I have a personal story and I, again, I'm a complete novice to all this stuff. And, you know, I do believe in reincarnation and things of that nature, but my mother passed away when I was seven and Trinity might've heard this story about the clock. I don't know. We had a big I grandfather clock. So. And when my mother passed away, strangely, she was having a conversation with my father the week before. And she said, you know, if anything, I know this is, we, nobody wants to think about this, but if anything ever happens to me, I'll set that clock to 12 and you'll <laughs> know that I'm okay. And sure enough, my mother passed away at a very young age And, you know, a couple of weeks after we get through the chaos of the service and all of those things, my dad looks up and he notices that this grandfather clock has stopped at 12. Mm. Then he winds the clock. And again, the clock runs for, you know, 24 hours or 12 hours, stops again at 12. And it continuously does that. He takes it to a a clock repair shop. The clock is fine and it, it will not work for us. He gets remarried shortly after my mother's passing to a, an aunt on my stepmother's side of the family. She keeps the clock for 40 years. The clock works fine. After she passes away, my dad gets the clock again. The clock stops at 12. He wills the clock to my sister who tried to wind the clock again, always stopped at 12. So she just let it sit on her fireplace. She had a big decision in her life. She was trying to consider whether or not she would move from Houston, Texas back to Kansas City, which is where I grew up. And was packing up her house to make this big life transition. And the clock started ticking at 12 and it ticked for 24 hours and it stopped again at 12 the next day. So I guess my question is, that is really unbelievable. Did you acknowledge your mom? Yeah. 
So, I mean, I just want to know what is your perception of what happens in the afterlife and where do people go? And, you know, if they're in this process of reincarnation, help me understand, like, how's she fucking with the clock? (laughs) clock? But I believe it was her. I genuinely do. Now we go with an audio visual aid. (laughs) Okay. This is your soul. Okay. It's too big to fit in these little bitty bodies. So part of our soul comes down. Okay. I mean, it's why my soul and my dad's soul, I mean, he'll work with me down here, but the most part of us, we're both up there, you know, and he, and he and I watch the crazies in my life and they're probably snacking on popcorn and making comments. (laughs) Yeah. But it is, believe it or not, it is not only people that come back. It's our, it's our pets. Oh, I need my little Gigi to come back. Trinity's Gigi just passed away. Yeah, I have an animal communicator to send you to who will see. Now, I've been a Maine Coon mom cat for 40 years and I've loved them all. But my special boy was Oswald. Mm. And he, I got him in Georgia in 1992. He got me through divorce, remarriage and cancer. Mm. In 2008, we had to give him the final kindness mm-hmm. him across the bridge because he was in pain mm-hmm. uh, and he didn't want to go, but we did. And I cried that day. My eyes were swollen shut that night. I dreamt about him. He was back full fight and wait. Great. Walks me over to a little boat on the Boston common jumps in the prow, circles like a dog sits. I literally jackknife up wide awake, filled with joy. And had oh. been given the message, mom, thank you so much. That body sucked. I'm so glad to be out of it, but I'm coming home. I promise. Watch for me. Okay. So talked to an animal communicator and she told me what she saw, which litter, which breeder. I said, how am I going to know which one? She listened. She said, he has it handled. So I go to the breeder and there's a lump of four kittens. You can't see heads or tails while sleeping together. <laughs> and it's going to have the same name. So I'm sitting about six feet away and I call Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Three of them don't move. One of them, the head shoots up, comes tumbling over in my lap. Where you been? I've been waiting. We get home. He says hello to the two Himalayan cats that were his buddies. Another Maine Coon cat who was still a kitten, who are you? Slept in his old favorite place under the bed, went and ate out of everybody's food dish, and then said, I'm home. And too many things were exactly like Oswald the First. So he became Oswald de Great. He even had his own Facebook page. <laughs> and he truly was my heart's partner. Oh. We had to send him across the bridge early because he had a very enlarged heart. And with a cat, that can mean a saddle thrombus, which is a clot agonizing, takes out their back legs. There's nothing you can do but to mm-hmm. put them to sleep. So we wanted to save him from that. So we had our favorite vet, Uncle Dr. Dave, come went to sleep in the house. I was singing to him, buried him in the backyard with his favorite toys. It wasn't as grieving because he and I knew what was going on this time. Mm. And that night, again, in the middle of nothing, doing something else, not thinking about him, I hear this loud, cheerful voice in my head going, I'm okay, mom. Oh. And that's when I lost it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. They come back, but they have to want to. Sure. Can't just say you have to come back because I want Oswald back a third time. He's going, no. <laughs> He's like, I'm good. 
No, yeah. yeah, two lives was good. And I'm out yeah. in the field outside the house and you know, I'm still here, but I don't want to go back in a body. Okay. Yeah. If you love them, you say yes, I get it. Yeah. And so it's like her mom just continuing to send that message to mm-hmm. the family. I'm still here. I'm with you. I'm not in body, but mm-hmm. I'm good. Yes. Yeah. But I do want to give the funny story about why I will not do mediumship in a public. Yes, please. Yes. Okay. Um, I don't do vague stuff. I see a woman in a flower dress handing the roses grandma. Oh, please. Can I vomit now? Um, <laughs> what I do is I get their dog tags. For instance, my father, Jerome Richard Dorkin, who died in 2001 at the age of 80. That gets me right into the energy. And for some reason, my guys play charades. If someone smoked, if they had an accident, this is, you know, guys think they're gorgeous. Women may play with a necklace or they may do this because they were a cook, whatever it is. And once we establish, I really do have your Aunt Rose, whatever. I tell you exactly what they have to say. I don't censor. So upstate New York, several years ago, there was a biracial same gender couple. The black partner had died and her white widow wanted to speak to her. See this face? Nice kid from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I have a man. <laughs> what comes out of my mouth in flawless urban ebonics was, well, shit, but ain't my white bitch. And I'm going, oh my God. <laughs> but the woman in front of me bursts out laughing and nods because that is how her partner, Isabel, walked into the house when she came back from every business trip. Huh. You cannot say that in public. Right. Oh, I am dead. That is so funny. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> But also, that's, that's the funny story. But sometimes what is said is is either yeah. Arctic or whatever. A couple of the things that I got, which are very unusual. Woman wanted to speak to her father-in-law who had just passed. I feel myself miming a pool cue. He taught her how to play pool. Mm. In Canada, wanted to speak to her grandfather. And I feel myself do this. Now, American salute, palm down. Mm-hmm. Canadians and Brits, palm out. She had just graduated from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Academy two weeks before, and her grandfather was acknowledging it. Wow. That's when I know the mediumship is real. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I am, I'm definitely going to circle back with you on that offline <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that's, um, yeah. But I do have a question for you. So I an experience a couple of weeks ago, my sister and I were video chatting and I was standing in my bedroom and she asked if I had a crystal that was throwing light around the room. And I don't, I do downstairs, but didn't have one up here. I was like, no, why? She's like, I keep seeing these like sparks coming from the lower left part of the screen and like flying across your body and going across. And, and she's like, there it goes again. There's one now. And they were, you know, coming in points. Some would cross my forehead, some my neck. See some them my were happening. What's that? Did you see it when it was I happening? Could- I could not see it. No. And so then we decided to record it. Mm-hmm. So we recorded it and I have the recording and I could actually see them. And there, the one that was the most pronounced, I was like, I'm going to try to make them happen. Tell me what happened. So I, I was really focusing my energy into my palms and creating this kind of energy ball here. And then I'd forgotten about it, but I was still holding it. And at some point I opened my hand and when I opened it like this, spark just shot out of my pinky over to the other other side. And it was, you know, all of them were moving at a very 
rapid pace. So it wasn't like the little dust that is floating around the room. They were definitely moving in a straight line. Like a shooting star. At different points, coming from lower, typically going a little bit higher. And there is nothing in the room that could have caused it because I made sure of it. So I'm I'm just am curious if you have seen that before, or if there's anything that you pick up that I've seen have. orbs. Mm-hmm. And I did see in about 1976, there was this about this big pulsing blue light that came slowly from my living room through the French doors of the bedroom and in. And mm-hmm. I was terrified. I just looked at it and said, I think you're my oversoul, you know, higher self. Um and I acknowledge you, but I'm really not ready to see you. So could I ask you to leave? And it left. Mm. So sparks like that are probably discarnates of some form. Are probably what? Discarnate. We are in form. Ghosts are discarnate. Okay. So anything that doesn't have a body, I refer to as a discarnate. And there were dozens of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she shared the video with me. I saw them too. It was very interesting for sure. Yeah. I don't think it was one of your relations, but I do think it was some kind of energy group. For mm. You know, I would have to see that you might want to show it to uh, ghost investigators to see what they say kind of thing. So would something like that typically be more attached to, let's say, the house or me as a person for a particular purpose? It could be either. It, it, it could be either. That's why, you know, one of the things about professional intuitives, when we're not the experts, we admit it, we send you to who is, I would say, show that picture, that recording to ghost hunters. They may have equipment that will also be able to see what's underneath if there's an EVP, electronic voice projection that you didn't hear, things like that. Okay. Interesting. And you might also want to see if you can frame by frame by frame by frame, slow down the recording to see if mm. be a form. Okay. That's what I'll be doing for the rest of the day, Shelby, if you need me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And we've just really loved our conversation with you, Corby. Thank you so much for being here today. I feel like the conversation flew by. You left our audience and our listener with so many valued little nuggets of wisdom and information. So thank you so much, including Trinity and myself as well. So thank you for being here. If our listener wanted to find you and explore more of your intuitive gifts, how could they find you? Oh, Shelby, they can't avoid me. Uh, (laughs) You go to CorbyMitlie.com. That's my website. You'll find me on YouTube. You'll find me on Medium. You'll find me on Instagram. You'll find me on Pinterest. And if you want to start learning with me, Mm. A small group of, you know, uh, my nickname is Ma Feathers because I love ravens. So the nestlings meet once a month and we go mm. along kinds of interesting stuff. You you can find me on Patreon. I love that. I love well, it. Thank you too. for sharing our, my um, college mascot was the raven. So I find that kind of maybe connection. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We really enjoyed the conversation and thank uh, you. We, yeah. Thank you for being here. Really my pleasure. Well, wasn't that fascinating? That was so fascinating. Oh, it was good. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait to hear what your top points were that you took away, Shelby. But I took a lot out of that conversation. And, you know, I want to start with the big K, number one. Karma. Karma, y'all. 
so knowing that karma is five things, it's healing, service, contrast, unbalanced energy and healing of beliefs. Mm. And so the more that we know ourselves and our strengths, then the more we will keep when we pass over into our next life. I just, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, me too. And number two, when we live this examined life, which I really love the idea of the examined life, we can ask ourselves, what can I learn from this? And how can I teach with it? Mm-hmm. And then what's next? She always likes to say, you know, what consider what is the next thing beyond this moment in time that you can take with you. Man, I love that so much. And I struggle. I struggle to like remember to do those things in the moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I might ask you to help me be accountable mm-hmm. to that because yeah. I just keep it pressing. So yeah, likewise. You know, I mean, I think we all can pause for a moment and just, yeah. I, mean, I think it's a great way to reframe things that are happening in the moment that feel heady and overwhelming. Like, what am I learning from this moment? Absolutely. Yeah. And how is it shaping us? And, and for me, that leads to point number three, which, you know, ladies, there, there's more to go. There is mm. more to go. And we are all way more than just a part of our story or this slice of of time in our history or what took place during a moment in time or during a season that is no longer a piece of this larger beauty of who we are in this world. So the question is, who are you now? Who are you now? Who am I now? Because I'm more than just, you know, the woman that took fourth place in the um, runner-up Miss Whatcom County pageant in 1989. I'm not her anymore, right? <laughs> Let that go. I, I, I'm not the divorce. I'm not the divorce from April 2017. Yeah. I'm not the car accident that I got into back in 1992. You know, if, if you've had cancer, you are not just, you're not the cancer victim, nor are you even just the cancer survivor. You are so much more. You're not the miscarriage. You are not the pain or the things that have happened to you. You and your story are so much bigger and greater than that. Who are you now? I love that message, especially where I am right here, right now in midlife, right? Yes. You know, and number four, I've been really dwelling on this one a lot lately too, because it's not the job that makes you who you are. Find your, what Corby calls sentence of passion. It's that thing that when you, she said, roll up to the pearly gates with your hair on fire and fumes in your tank. You can say, look, I fucking did this. And it's that moment, that moment where you are full-on living in your bliss. Yes. Oh, I love that. Okay, and number five. These are our three magic questions, girls. Mm -hmm. These are the things that we need to keep at the surface when we are feeling the things, when we are wrapped around the axle, Mm -hmm. when our emotions, our feelings, our gut 
are pulling us in places and we don't know why. We've got to be able to get to the heart of it. So, you know, for me, it's, you know, oftentimes maybe I am feeling angry and perhaps this is more of the side effect of perimenopause. I'm not sure, but (laughs) so, you know, you're going to be filling in the blank, whatever's going on. So I need to stop and say, what am I angry about? And I need to let that settle into my soul and my gut. I need to feel where that is and understand that. And then I need to ask myself, when I get those answers of what I'm angry about, the next step, I need to know my second question. Why am I angry about that? And you know, adventure guests, ladies, a lot of times the why is not going to be about what's happening in the immediate moment, but it's going to be pulled from that past story. It's going to be pulled from a completely different area. And so we'll be able to determine, am I dealing with a now situation? Am I dealing with a situation? And, and, and let me deal with the root cause versus right now, what is the symptom potentially? This is then going to lead you to your third question, which is where the magic lives. What would happen if I stopped being angry about that? And let your heart soar free. Let your imagination run wild. What are the possibilities if you lived in a space where you were no longer angry about that, confused about that, depressed about that, scared, scared about that, fearful of doing the things that you know that you can do in this lifetime? What if? you were to step out into your purpose and start to live in your story now, who you are today. It's, it's not easy, but I would say it's worthwhile. And I would say that we're worthy of that because living our lives in our past stories, living our lives in our all the fear-based emotions that are pulling us away from who we are intended to be, that is what is not worthwhile. That is below our standard of what we deserve as women in midlife who are choosing today to live our best lives, to figure out who in the hell we are and who we want to become. Yeah. Let's continue to do this together. Join our Facebook group. Let's connect and let's make this thing real. It doesn't have to just be over the airwaves. This can be a real relationship where we're holding one another up. All of us, ladies, let's do this. And we can't wait to hear from you, but even more, we can't wait to spend more time with you next week. You know where to find us right here in the middle.